The latest tweet just simply repeated a sceptical mantra that I've heard a hundred times before. It read like this. The stories about Jesus' resurrection are just uncorroborated claims that have never, ever been verified by anyone. I put down my phone and scratched my chin. Hadn't I just pointed them to the evidence that needed to be explained? The important details from the time. Hadn't we seen that purely naturalistic sorts of explanations couldn't account for that evidence? You know, the historical case for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is really strong and it's challenged the scepticism of many people down through the ages. Are you familiar with the details? Do you want to know more? Welcome to Respond. Here's your host, Stuart Gray. Respond comes out of my experience as a Christian. Sometimes I've had opportunities to talk about the reasons why Christianity makes sense to me. Other times, I've not had these opportunities, but I wish I had. My aim for this podcast is maybe to open up issues that you might have if you're unconvinced about Christianity so far. And perhaps it'll also give the already convinced some help talking about Christianity with interested friends. So recently I got together with some friends and we laid out together a historical case for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this is an important event in history for Christianity. Why? Well, if it can be proven that Jesus was not raised from the dead, then basically you've got no Christianity. But you know, Jesus' crucifixion at the hands of the Romans in the first century is one of the best attested facts of ancient history. People did not survive Roman crucifixions. He died at the hands of his Roman executioners. But what happened next was very unusual. So here's a here's a important question to start with. What did resurrection mean to the first Christians? What did it actually mean? What did the what did the word mean? Because sometimes when you get into these conversations, people throw in lots of ideas about, oh well, you know, maybe it was it was all about life in some disembodied form or maybe even reincarnation into something else. But but historians know that to a first century Jew, resurrection means something very specific. It means the reversal of death to bodily, bodily immortality. So living forever with a, a physical body. That was the Jewish understanding. Believe is that that will happen to everyone all at once at the end of time. Okay. So just to be clear, we're talking about physically coming back from the dead. How do we build a case uh, to argue for the resurrection of Jesus? Well, there are two steps to this that we're going to follow tonight. So what, what historical evidence exists? And we're also going to ask which explanation for the evidence explain the evidence? We need to have an explanation for it. 
Now, what we're going to find out is that the evidence for the resurrection is very clear. And it's, there are only three facts that we need to worry about as far as our building our case for the resurrection. The first one is that Jesus' tomb was empty. The second one is that Jesus made post-mortem appearances to his friends. And the third one is that the Christian church existed uh, in the first century. They are well evidenced, and we know these. But actually, these three facts, the empty tomb, Jesus' post-mortem experiences, and basically the origin of the, the belief in Jesus' resurrection that the church was built on, these three facts are crucial evidence to build the case for the resurrection. And the important thing to say is, if we can't explain these things naturally, then surely we will be justified in inferring God raised Jesus from the dead. So that's, that's, that's kind of where we're going in this case-making process. So let's look at fact number one, the fact of the empty tomb. This is the first piece of evidence that our historical case has to explain. And there are five supporting pieces of evidence that tell us that Jesus's tomb was actually empty after he was buried in it. Can anyone um, give me some ideas about what some of the supporting evidences for the empty tomb might be? There were the witness statements from the people yep. that visited. Yep. Mary and that. That's really important. And actually who they were was really important as well. Anything else? Wasn't there some historical, well, like the soldiers were, mm -hmm. there was yeah. wasn't a bit of research that went on yep. <laughs> afterwards. In Matthew's gospel, it talks about that. Yeah. Would that be historically sort of from a Roman perspective as well? Would that have been recorded? There's lots of Roman history that has survived from the first century. That particular incident isn't Josephus or Tacitus, the two main sources. But I think okay. it's... I think it's consistent with uh, the way that the Romans would have dealt with a potential uprising situation. Any other ideas about what we can point to? to... The Jews confirmed it themselves. Yep. But, but because they explained, they gave an explanation for why the tomb was empty. Exactly. They, they actually assumed the... So why is that important? Well, because the people at the time um, who... Um, weren't invested in the in the claim, yeah. And in fact, were opposed to Jesus's um, status as a Messiah, as the Messiah. Right. Those very people acknowledged the fact that his tomb was empty, <laughs> and they made excuses for it to try and prove that it wasn't for the reasons that the Christians said. Okay. But they said the body was stolen, didn't they? He said, "Yeah." He said someone had taken it away. So, so they assumed that the tomb was empty when they made up a story to, to, to try and diffuse the, the claim that Jesus was uh, resurrected. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really important one. So can we actually know that Jesus was actually buried in a tomb in Jerusalem? Well, what we have is we have, there are two really, really early independent reports, reports of Jesus' burial. One is in Mark's gospel, and the other one was written by the Apostle Paul. 
and it's in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5. Would someone happen to have a Bible handy? Could they read for us 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 5? I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12, which, is, which are the 12 disciples. Yep. And actually, six, verse 6 says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Yeah, I, f- I forgot to ask you to do that one. <laughs> it's an important one as well. Um, okay, so what, what scholars see here is actually Paul's quoting something which was a creed, an ancient creed that the first Christians learned orally, that they, they memorized it, and they, they spoke it to each other to, to remind each other what the gospel, what the good news actually was. So he's, he's writing down something here which he probably got from Peter, Uh, When he visited Peter around AD 36, Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 1, when he went to the apostles to kind of make sure that he was on the right track, that that he was understanding, you know, the Christian message. So Jesus' burial is actually reflected in both of these places. An example in Mark, let me just find that, verse 44. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer. Pilate told Joseph, that's Joseph of Arimathea, that he could have the body, and Joseph brought along a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in a cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. These are two important sources, but there are others. Peter's sermon at the beginning of Acts in chapter, is it chapter 1 or chapter, chapter 1? He mentions Jesus' burial. Matthew, um, so Jill's point about the guards. What's interesting about Jill's point is Matthew adds in an additional piece of information the guards. Paul didn't mention the guards. Mark didn't mention the guards. So Matthew has used information from another source. So there we have another source that is that is very early because, because Matthew itself is, is, is dated um, in the first century. The big picture here is that we've got really good historical evidence for Jesus' burial. Historians are excited when they've got like two independent sources confirming something. But in the Bible, we see six independent sources. So we've got a lot of early reporting that Jesus was buried. And his burial was in a known area. The tomb's location would have been known. Some, some other points here, both Jews and Christians were involved here and were present at the interment uh, of Jesus. Let's face it, if, if the tomb had not been empty, then would his disciples have believed anything special about Jesus? I mean, if I was them, I'd, I'd be feeling pretty defeated when he was crucified and died. Surely if his body was still in the tomb, they, they wouldn't have believed anything special uh, was going on. Quite apart from all that, Christianity was birthed in Jerusalem, right? Which was the very place that that Jesus was crucified. So 
if the tomb wasn't empty and the first Christians started sharing the message and preaching the good news, surely anyone with a mind to could have debunked what they were saying. And, you know, look, here's his body. What are you talking about? He died. There's his remains. Don't be so silly. Well, that didn't happen. And the church flourished. The important piece of evidence that we're starting with is Jesus' tomb was empty. Also, Mark's account is very simple. There, there aren't legendary embellishments around the empty tomb. It's very matter of fact. You know, the tomb had the body laid in it. But then a couple of days later, the body wasn't there. You compare Mark's gospel to the later Gnostic gospels from a few centuries later, and they're much more elaborate. They have, they have, they have CGI you know, special effects going on, or the ancient equivalent. Well, you don't find that in the, in the gospels. They're very simple and straightforward. Also, here's another important fact about the empty tomb. As Jill said, it was Jesus's friends, women friends, that discovered the empty tomb. Why is that important? Women weren't regarded as high members of society in Jewish society, and they weren't regarded as credible witnesses in a trial. They could act as a witness if there was no one else, but they weren't generally respected as, as credible witnesses which is appalling, but that's just the way it was. So if the empty tomb is a legend, if it never happened, why try and support a fictional account by appealing to the testimony of non-credible witnesses? That's absurd. Surely you would try and support your legend with strong witnesses, the men. The Gospels don't do that, and Paul doesn't do that. The women discovered the empty tomb, and that's a big piece of evidence to support you know, this as a historical, accurate historical claim. One of, the, one of the reasons that these three pieces of evidence are important is that the major, I think the majority of the historians all agree with them. They say, these are the three pieces of evidence we absolutely know about. Uh, we can be sure. Uh, obviously, the crucifixion has to happen first, so, so, so he dies, but then we're absolutely historically certain that the tomb was empty, and uh, he, he's understood to appear to people after his death, and the church is born. These are th the three pieces of evidence that most scholars would agree with, I think. So when we are presenting these as just, this is why we think the resurrection happened, we have lots of supporting things we can appeal to to, to show that they're reasonable. This is quite a basic one, but I guess... Um... I guess for me, I'm not someone who has all that kind of knowledge just to hand. Yeah. So often, I think the skepticism I'm often preparing myself for is just people fundamentally see the Bible as almost like a mythical book that someone just cooked up to support their faith. Right. So I, I'm almost anticipating the argument of how can you treat what's in the Bible, even though it's from different sources, how can you treat that as a credible historical document yeah i know you've just covered a lot of that but that, that's um, kind of where my mind goes not no i mean not really i mean that's that's a vitally important topic it's it's actually it's related to this topic but it's 
um, it's actually a big topic all in its, all by itself. There are lots of reasons why many historians look at the Gospels as reliable, and they, they don't all believe that the New Testament is the inspired Word of God, but historians look at it and see the Gospels as trustworthy for many reasons. One of the reasons is it has a, a really good and accurate understanding of the geography of the, of the time. It is very difficult to, to write a fictional story about a place and get important details about the distances between towns and, and the, the, the different locations and what they were like. When you read the gospel accounts, they have a ring of truth about them because they feel like, you know, this is a lived in story. People, pe the people that are talking either know it or live there as they're writing it, one of the two. Doesn't mean that what they say is true, but it shows that there's a historical core here that we need to respect. And having done that, we can then examine whether the claims are true. And that's what we're doing tonight. The tomb was empty. That's a really solid historical fact. Here's a, here's a second one. Jesus was understood to make post-mortem appearances. Paul reported this in 1 Corinthians 15 that Norley read for us. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at the same time. So Jesus made post-mortem experiences. How do we know? Well, he appeared to Peter. Uh, and that's, that's part of the, one of the earliest Christian creeds. By the way, that creed, one of the, the, the world's experts on the resurrection has analyzed the history around this creed. And he dates it to within uh, maybe two or three years from the crucifixion itself. His name's Gary Habermas. He's, he, so he, he, he makes a strong argument that that creed in 1 Corinthians 15 is actually the earliest piece of evidence about the resurrection that we have. It predates the Gospels by decades. So it's like Christianity encapsulated in a paragraph. Uh, so it's a very, very powerful and very important section of, uh, of the New Testament says that Jesus appeared to Peter. We also hear about Jesus appearing to Peter in Luke's gospel as well. Um, there's a, a section when Jesus is, is talking to the, do you remember the men on the Emmaus road? Within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them. The Lord has really risen, they said, he appeared to Peter. So there's two pieces of evidence there to, to suggest that Peter experienced post-mortem uh, Jesus. So he appeared to Peter. He also appeared to the 12 disciples. We know that from 1 Corinthians 15. He appeared to 500 people. Now, sometimes skeptics will look at that and go, give me a break. But the question is, well, what is the problem here? Because Paul is quoting this creed that is clearly embedded within the Christian church. And he's, he's quoting a fact there that his audience at the time when he wrote it, you know, you could go and verify that. You could, you could find out, you know, who was there at the time and check that Paul's quoting something that actually happened. He, he appeared to the 500. Now, some people have said, well, surely if he appeared to that many people, the Gospels would have talked about it. But they don't. 
so it's 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 false well no not at all if you look at the gospels they are generally focused on what happened in the jerusalem area and that's where the the, the narrative proceeds from and its focus is jerusalem but we know that jesus appearances happened in various places that the appearance to five the 500 could have happened in galilee and so there were people there who who remembered it and so it became part of this early Christian creed. So the, the two people I was thinking of that are important are, the first one is James. So James was the brother of Jesus. And we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus's family didn't believe that he was anything special. His brothers, you know, didn't believe he was anything special when he was during his ministry. But... After his resurrection, uh, in Acts chapter 1, his brothers turn up. They're, they're part of what's going on in, in the early church. And James, Jesus' brother, starts to be become quite an important person in the church. We actually learn from Acts chapter 21 that James becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. So what would cause a skeptical person to, to turn around in such a, a dramatic way. And the other one, of course, is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who in Acts chapter 9, as persecutor of the church, um, he, he is stopped on the Damascus Road and he transforms from this, you know, a persecutor to a suffering Christian leader, you know, and eventually is martyred for his faith in Rome tradition tells us so what was it that that caused such a a zealot a, you know a, a jewish zealot that wanted to destroy christianity what transformed him from that situation into someone willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel jesus's post-mortem appearance to him his his convinced his convincing appearance that showed him that he was alive and and he was who he said he was but the appearance to paul was a, a bit different to the others wasn't it Yep. Although, interestingly, the account does say that it wasn't just Paul that heard the voice, but the two people that were with him also heard it. Yeah, but it was a voice rather than... Yep. It was a a light and a voice, yeah. Okay, so the first piece of evidence we've got for the resurrection is the empty tomb. The second piece of evidence is the post-mortem appearances. And the third is just the church. Midway through the first century, the Christian church sprang into life. Why? Why did that happen? Uh, what triggered it? What, what caused it to, to, be, to be formed? Well, the New Testament says that it's because Christians believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. The, the fact of the Christian church's birth is well attested in history. Uh, but why? Because if you think about it, from the perspective of a a Jewish person in the first century. There were a lot of messiahs around in the first century, and and Jesus was just one of the one of the new messiahs, and his followers were following him. And the Old Testament understanding, or the, the way they understood the Old Testament teaching on Messiah, was that this was some triumphant figure who unites and establishes God's throne in Jerusalem. So he was he was he was a coming king, of course. All, all the messiahs got got killed by the Romans and they did away with Jesus. And usually when, when your messiah dies, you either decide to 
give give up the messiah following business or you find a new messiah to follow but either way it's kind of bad news when your messiah dies so it must have been bad news for them when jesus died um because it would have shattered their perception of messiah you know oh we thought this was the right one but he's dead as well but the important thing that the that the uh, early Christians discovered that launched the church was they believed Jesus was raised from the dead, that he didn't stay dead. And this reversed their disaster. They, they didn't lose the Messiah after all. And their understanding of Messiah was changed. So their interpretation of the Old Testament was, was uh, adjusted, if you like, or, or, or they, they started to understand what God was talking about when, when, when Messiah was being taught. By the, by the Old Testament. In, in, his, in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, Peter described Jesus as, he says, God has made him Lord and Messiah. So there's an understanding here that actually our understanding of Messiah was, was too small. The role of Messiah was much, much more significant. So, you know, belief in the resurrection was crucial and it was foundational to the, the launching of the church. Um, and we can see that in the historical record. So in summary then, we've got three important pieces of evidence that starts off our argument for the resurrection. The tomb was empty. What was the second one? Post-mortem appearances. Post-mortem appearances. Jesus appeared physically to people. And the third one, which is on the screen just now, is Christianity. The fact that the church was born in the, in the first century. Of course, people will, when they, they, they look at that, they'll say, well, yeah, but... Don't the Gospels disagree? Isn't there contradictory evidence here? Ah, blah, 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 blah. And they'll come out with all sorts of, of interesting ideas, which that's fine. We could talk about that. But actually, the important thing is here, we're making a case for the resurrection of Jesus. And all of the accounts agree on these three facts. So, yes, there's apparent disagreement about how many women went to the tomb on Sunday morning. I don't think it's a big issue. I think you can square that very easily. But there is apparent disagreement between the Gospels on that. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it's, it's irrelevant. All of the historic, the, the earliest reports agree on these three evidences. question is, what's the best explanation for this evidence? So, there you go. That's what we need to explain. Um, the question then becomes, so what's the best explanation for it? Well, that's our subject for next week. See you then. <laughs>